Hi, and welcome to the Family Brain Podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to the glorious and messy world of family life and mental health. I'm your host, Megan Gibson. I'm a licensed clinical social worker with a private practice in Austin, Texas. I try to keep it real, and I invite guests who I think might help us navigate this journey of being human. Thanks for listening. I'm so excited to share my conversation today with Julianne Taylor Shore. She is super smart. And I was just so thrilled to talk to her and get to learn about her process of helping people with boundaries. And I'll be honest, I thought that I kind of had a handle on boundaries and and how to set boundaries and what that looks like in helping people. But she opened my eyes to a whole nother level of boundary setting in terms of energetic boundary setting. And you can learn more about what that means by listening to this episode. And she also shares a really cool, very simple exercise that you can do on your own to think about what that might look like for you to set an energetic boundary with someone. And I think that's especially important coming up with the holidays and extra family time. And I hope you enjoy learning from her as much as I did. Hi, and thanks so much for joining me on this episode of The Family Brain. Today, I have Julianne Taylor-Shore, who is a therapist here in Austin, and I follow her work fanatically online. She has lots of good information out there. She's the founder of IPNB Austin, a therapy practice, which is beautiful. The space is beautiful. It's decorated, it's lovely, which is not- Oh, yeah. It's really pretty. And she's the co-host of the podcast, Why Does My Partner? She's married and has a child and a dog and is doing all the things we're doing, trying to figure out this messy life. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Megan. It's great. It's great to be here. So I was just curious. I always like to hear a little bit about how- people get started in their work. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could yeah. be an accountant, you could be, you know, I could. something I was else. other things. I was. Were you? Yeah, yes. yeah. My undergrad was in theater and I was a director and a stage manager in the theater in New York for years. Cool. And my family's in the auto business, like uh, mechanics. And so I learned to turn wrenches. And for some of my life, I was an auto mechanic and managed auto shops. <laughs> Crazy, totally different background. And then I found the therapy world actually through going to therapy during a really hard situation in my life and felt like, honestly, I felt like therapy is dumb mm-hmm. and I don't really like it or want to do it, but I can't think of another option and I feel really stuck and lost. And so I'll try it, but it probably won't help. Right. And then. After a couple of years of fighting with my therapist about whether or not feelings mattered, (laughs) I I found myself on the other side of that in a much better space. And so I ended up going to grad school actually because of that experience. And then I found my way, I teach about neuroscience to clinicians. I found my way into that work because I went to grad school and was super confused about the fact that there were no classes on the brain. And I thought that's super weird because I wouldn't ask one of my guys to work on a brake system if he didn't understand how a brake system worked. That'd be, that'd be odd. And so I ended up 
luckily finding some correspondence courses, stuff I could take that I didn't have to like re-enroll in a different grad program. So that led me to the work of Dan Siegel. I started studying interpersonal neurobiology, which felt like a real fit to find our way. I looked into uh, Robert Sapolsky's work, who I think is one of the best teachers in the complexity of neuroscience. He doesn't dumb it down at all. And Eagleman. So I started studying with some of those folks and got to know a lot about the brain and then realized, oh, these are written in this really technical way. I wonder if I could help translate between what does that mean and what does that mean about how we do things differently that helps us work more with how our brains work. Because a lot of the interventions I was seeing actually asked you to work against the energy and information flow pattern in your brain. And so I started teaching clinicians and, and working IPNB, Austin, our, our psychotherapy practice, it's IPNB stands for interpersonal neurobiology. And so I started training clinicians and um, talking to my clients about how their brains worked. So I, I try to spread brain love. <laughs> yes. Well, and it's, it's comforting that you say that a lot of the training doesn't focus on how does the brain work. I think I, mm-hmm. I got some, you know, 101, but yeah. it was not deep information. And I feel like I'm playing a little bit of catch up now. And I think we all are. Yes. Yeah. Not a lot of things. I mean, and, and mm-hmm. information is growing. I think sometimes my being receptive to new information changes too. Like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, I really need this for the person I'm working with. And mm-hmm. I better figure it out now. But it's kind of ironic that my podcast is called The Family Brain. And I, <laughs> and for me, I've always thought about it more as how it's the same insofar as it's like, how are we all interconnected? But my neurobiology background is slowly growing. It's not as yeah. strong as my podcast name would suggest. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I love that you're using it like that because when it comes to what a brain really is, it's this, the brain, the mind relationships, they all have this interaction. We could think of them as one and the same. And we could also say, yeah. And the brain is the tool, like it's the space where the neurochemistry happens, but the mind is like this bridge between me and other people. And then in that relational space, I transform others through my influence. I let their influence in through me to transform. So when you're talking about the family brain, I think of it as, yeah, there's the brain of each individual and there's the larger emergent brain of the family itself that's always shifting and interacting with each other. So I'm with you on both ways of saying it. Because you just described it way better than I ever have, but that's exactly what was in my brain. So you you made the mind bridge for describing it. Yeah. Uh, So one of the things I love, I want to learn more about sort of like neurology, neuroscience 101 Mm -hmm. that we can share with people. And one of the things that you and I had talked about is just sort of thinking about this is coming out right around the holiday season. Mm -hmm. Things start to feel a little bit extra. And I think a lot of us sort of are already running on steam (laughs) sometimes. And then you add a lot of extra things that are considered optional. I was just talking to a friend about this this morning. It's like, it's optional, but like people expect it. And I kind of like doing it, but like, Mm -hmm. but then I'm run out and I feel overwhelmed and you're interacting Mm -hmm. with different people. So I was kind of thinking maybe we could frame like some of this conversation about, you know, just this month of December and sort of extra things it can bring about. I love that. 
Yeah. And you know, when you're, when you're talking about it from a neuroscience perspective, you can think about the brain in, um, you can kind of think about it in three different, uh, levels of processing. So you have your lowest part of your brain, more your brainstem area. That's at the very, very bottom of your brain. And that's in charge of like physical safety, making sure your heart keeps beating sleep cycles. Like think of it as like body. Yay. Everything's cool. And regulating that and making sure you send blood and, and resources, energy resources to your muscles, to where they need to go to get to your next thing. And then there's that middle part. I, I like to think of it as the subcortical. A lot of times people will have heard limbic. And the reason I've switched my language is that it's much more complex than just limbic. But think of it as like the spot where my emotional knowings live. So like, it's, it's optional and I want to do it, but also it's kind of expected. <laughs> All that landscape lives in that middle brain. Okay. Think of it as like excitatory neurochemical central. Okay. It's going to send lots of neurochemicals that kind of get you going and help you process what this world means through a language we like to call feelings. And then you have your top part of your brain. And that top part of your brain is getting all the feed from the bottom too, and is trying to make sense of, okay, so what should I do now? <laughs> right? So what's cool about it is that the top part of your brain has the possibility of soothing that middle and bottom part. And I'm thinking, as you were talking about the extra and the stress of the holidays, I was thinking about how much we need to add soothing and so I was thinking, oh, there's some cool tricks for adding soothing. Because okay. sometimes you can turn on that top part of your brain in a way that sets your lower brain on fire. Judgment. Judgment towards others will do it. Judgment towards yourself will do it. Urgh, getting all that stress, you're going to light your lower brain on fire. But if you can pause and separate and just watch what's happening in your mind, even neutrally, you'll start sending GABA, which is an inhibitory neurochemical. It just goes shh to your lower brain. It goes, shh, calm down, <laughs> hold on, right? So even adding a pause between what you feel and what you do will add a little bit of that calming neurochemical flow. Okay. And if you can add a little bit of compassion, either, either compassion for someone else or compassion towards yourself, you add extra soothing neurochemicals from that top part of your brain. Yeah. So I'm thinking about, let's say my kid is in a space where she's really wound up. We had a late night. We went to the light show at Circuit of the Americas, and now she's screaming for hot chocolate, <laughs> and it's 9 p.m. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to walk through this moment with her and say no to the hot chocolate tonight. I'm going to go ahead and say about set a boundary because I can feel like our family system maybe needs some more rest and we can do hot chocolate another time during the holidays, but we're not going to do it at this moment. What do I have to do to approach her? To, how do I support my mind so that I can approach that moment knowing she's probably going to have some feels mm -hmm. about this situation yeah, and I can hold her well? So if I add that pause, like, oh, this one's going to be hard, mama, 
Notice it was a pause plus a little compassion towards me. Yeah. And then I say to myself, and of course, of course, she's going to have hard feels about not getting what she wants. We, how many times do I have hard feels about not getting what I want? (laughs) That little mini grief is a normal part of the life process as we separate from a longing and let it go. That little mini grief moment, agitation moment is a normal part of that. And so I say, oh, of course she's going to be upset. So in that pause, I say, oh, of course this is hard. And of course her feelings are totally normal. And then I can navigate the hard moment with a little bit more soothing on board. Yeah. That makes sense. Oh, sweetie. Of course you want the hot chocolate. I'm so sorry, honey. Tonight it's too late for hot chocolate. And then she has her feels. And then I hold her. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's those moments that come at us all the time. Right. And it's the Mm -hmm. slow down to let it happen. I mean, I feel like I can do that sometimes. And then sometimes it's just like, things are happening so fast and things are coming out of my mouth that I'm like, what am I even saying? You know, what am I even saying? Oh, totally. That must be like the very bottom of the brain. That's like the, we're just scrapping together some words. We're not Mm -hmm. really planning and it's just Mm -hmm. out the mouth. That's right. That's that reactivity versus response. Right. So it's when we add the pause in, which is so hard to do because our world not just is is really fast, but I think it has an expectation of speed. So I think we can even feel awkward when we're taking a pause. If I pause in a moment and give myself a pep talk, you know, and give myself a little kindness, like, oh, Jules, you got this. Oh. <laughs> You can do hard things or, yep, this is tough, but all the mamas are doing it with you and we're all in this together. And I'm bumbling through this like the rest of you. Do not think because I'm saying this, I do this great all the time. I do not. Same. Yeah, Yeah, totally. But if I can take that pause, one of the things I'm going to have to walk through is feeling weird. Because it's not something I would normally do, because it's not what my family system did earlier on, because it's not what all those excitatory neurochemicals in my brain want me to do. They want me to feel and do with no pause in between. So if you feel weird, it probably means you're making a stride forward and doing a good practice. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. I love the idea of pausing and slowing down. And it does not come easily to me, but... I feel like I'm sort of the self-compassion plus like even those little tiny moments where you're like, I did that better than last time. And really like kind of having a little party for yourself about it, you know, like that's right. You made a little, little step forward. I am loving that you said that. So when you have a little celebration moment, it's really important that you actually let that stretch out. So funny thing, your amygdala, which is a part in your subcortical system, it feels all sorts of things. It's processing pretty much every emotion that you've got. But one of its really important things is that it processes fear very, very fast in about a quarter of a second. And it processes something good very, very slowly. Mm. And this was always needed, right? Because it's more important to escape from the danger than it is to like, remember where you left the berries. Yeah. They're, both are important, but one's way more important. I can find berries again if I survive to tomorrow. So let's yeah. <laughs> let's make sure we keep our fear on a hair trigger, right? But that's just true about the brain. So when you're having that moment of celebration, it actually takes about 20 seconds. 
mm. of hanging in that moment. Sometimes for people, it's even 30 seconds. So think like, oh, 20 to 30 seconds, I'm going to have to take in order for my brain to even get that something good happened. Yeah. In the lower level. Whoa. So yeah. I love that you're saying that celebration and that gratitude for self. And I'm wondering when you think about this, as you're listening to this, how can you support yourself in staying in that moment long enough for your subcortical brain to get it? Okay. I like that. I'm yeah. Into I'm into it. <laughs> I'm going to try it myself. So I challenge anyone listening, try it, try it. Even if it's a small little victory that feels, I feel like that's where we're extra hard on ourselves, Right. And the mm -hmm. compassion comes in too, is like, well, that was nothing like, well, it was big for you. You know, sometimes the mm -hmm. things that feel like nothing are actually really a big deal. And it's those little incremental changes that, that lead to bigger change, but that it takes time and it, it takes yeah. those little building blocks. So I will, I'm going to work on that myself. One of the things that I think about in what you're talking about, you know, even this coming home and like, we're not having hot chocolate tonight. Like mm -hmm. it, it wasn't going to work for your bigger family system. It was also yeah. you setting a boundary kind of for like, I'm not, we're not doing that right now. Yeah. I know you talk a lot about how boundaries can help us feel more connected to people. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think sometimes there's, there can be a misunderstanding. I had never heard about the term boundaries until I was in my twenties. Somebody introduced mm -hmm. me to it. And I was like, what do you mean by this? Like I had no, mm -hmm. you know, even not just the word, but even just the idea of that, like you could say, no, thank you to things. Right. Um, <laughs> this is a brand new idea. Right. I mean, really? I mean, yeah, you know, I do. But so I think that there can be sort of a misunderstanding sometimes like, oh, that person's being tough or that person is like mm -hmm. pushing people away. What do you say? Like, what do you hope that people start to understand better about boundaries and how they actually can serve mm -hmm. us and connect us and help us in our relationships? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think ultimately boundaries are about kindness and clarity. And I think of boundaries in several different ways. So when I use the word boundaries, I'm not actually only talking about one. I think the one you most likely hear about is something I would call like an executed boundary. It's a boundary that has action in it. So that's basically a boundary where you say, here's what's okay with me. Here's what's not okay with me. If the not okay thing happens, here's what I'm going to do. Right. So in the case with the hot chocolate, what's okay with me is that we had a great time and we're up later than your normal bedtime. Isn't that fun? What's not okay with me is that we prolong that and add sugar to the situation. <laughs> so we're not, we're not going to do that this evening. So that's not okay with me. So what my action is, is I'm not going to get the hot chocolate. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's what I'm saying when I say boundaries. So notice this, it has nothing to do with me trying to get someone else to do anything. It has to do with me guarding my heart against building resentment with you or building disappointing moments with you because I'm betraying myself by pretending it's okay when it's not okay or flexing when I didn't want to flex. And then my behavior, the choices that I'm making and my actions don't align with what feels right to me in my body and my heart. And then a lot of times we'll get into like blaming our spouses or blaming our kids or blaming ourselves and getting into this judgment cycle, which we talked about earlier, will light your lower brain on fire. Mm -hmm. 
So one, just being clear about what is and is not okay with you and having your actions align with that can bring a lot of internal peace and you don't build as much resentment and you don't build as much blame. So I think in that way it's connecting. But then I think it's maybe helpful to think about another kind of boundary and that's the psychological boundary. So the psychological boundary I think is one of our biggest connectors. So that's a space between us where I know you experiencing you is just you becoming you through time. All the thoughts and feelings you're having, it's just you working through life. And not everything you think and feel is probably true. And not everything you think and feel is probably about me, at least from my perspective in the world. And not everything I think and feel is true for you. And not everything I think and feel is about you. So when we hold the psychological boundary between us, what we're doing is we're having tons of kind witnessing. It's super respectful to the other person because I'm probably not going to try to change what they're thinking and feeling. I don't need to. That's them becoming them through time. And what they say or what they think or what they feel, it doesn't have to hurt me so deeply because I didn't take it so personally. So I think of it as a way to protect my mind from the minds of others and also to protect other minds from mine. Mm. In doing that, I actually feel more protected, which by the way, a brain stays more integrated in response to safety. So the more protected I feel, the more likely my brain can respond instead of react, can think creatively, has nuance, mm -hmm. has a flexibility. And then the more often too, I can be with whatever's happening in my little one or in my husband um, or in my friend, right? And I can then I can say, oh, that's what's happening for you. I don't need to change it. I can just witness it. Mm -hmm. When that happens, the other person goes, oh my gosh, they're not trying to change me. They accept me in this moment for who I am. Mm -hmm. They may not think that consciously, right? but that's the experience of it, right? So if let's take that example with the hot chocolate, I've got my psychological boundary in place and my kid says, I hate you. You made Christmas suck. <laughs> Let's say she says that, mm -hmm. which in our house, suck is not a bad word. I know it might be in yours. And if that's true, then great. And we'd say something, but for my house, it's fine. And so, so here I am. I hate you. Is that wholly true? Mm, probably not. I think she's expressing in a little kid way that she hates the decision I just made. That's cool. I didn't make it in. That's not true. It's not about me. That's her processing her, her separation from this want right? Yeah. You suck. I'm actually a terrible parent. Well, that's not wholly true either. <laughs> okay. That's, that's her. I'm you, you're making Christmas bad. Mm, I don't actually agree that this would make Christmas bad, but again, this is a really hard moment. So notice I'm not actually in pain mm -hmm. from anything she just said. Yeah. So I don't, because I've got that protection in place, I don't need to protect myself by shifting her. And I know I'm now kind witnessing what's happening in her. Mm. And I say, 
you're right. Not getting what you want really sucks. She's like, yeah, it does. Yeah, totally, sweetie. I get that. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it while we go take a quick bath. Yeah. I love that. I love, so I'm just picturing, well, I'm picturing myself listening to this thinking that sounds ideal. And I have been (laughs) full of such things at times, but (laughs) if somebody's listening to this and is like, how, cause I, I think I can do that with some people, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's easier. It's those people closer to us that it's so much harder for absolutely because we love them so dang much that we just must let them torture us. So if somebody is listening is like, I would like that protection. Is that, is it on Amazon? Can it be here (laughs) Thursday? Like how do we do this? I love this. I love this question. Yes. Okay. So one, let's normalize. This is going to be hardest to actually do with the people you love the most. So if it's easier to do with a friend, if it's easier to do with work, if it's easier to think about it in this way, in other spaces than with your family, that's totally normal. And there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's the first piece. The second piece is one is just the idea of, hey, I don't have to take in what doesn't feel true to me and what is, doesn't feel like it's about me. And I can take in what is true and what is about me. So just pausing for a moment and thinking about that concept, like, Is that something you agree with? Is that something you disagree with? So all the listeners out there can, one, put your psychological boundary up between you and me and double check and see if it feels true to you, what I'm even saying. And if it does, then okay, we could just say this. I bet if I practice discernment, not taking in what's not true, not taking in what's not about me, I could get better at it. Just stating, okay, that's a practice I could maybe do. And then we hold the other side. I might have grief with it. I might have feelings of sadness or hurt as I witness people having hard feelings. But hard feelings are important. Kind feelings are important. Lovely feelings are important. The feelings are just them processing the meaning of life as they interact with it. So there's no need for me to change anything that somebody else is feeling. And then double check. Oh, does that feel true to you? Does that feel okay for you? And then you can say, oh, I bet with practice, I could get better. And then one of the tricks to this is that the part of your brain that can do this discernment and kind witnessing super fast is called your mentalization neural network and blah, 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 neuroscience, neuroscience. Don't worry about that part. Just know it lives in the subcortical part of your brain and it's super fast. So if you embed it down there, your practice is gonna start making you feel like Neo from the matrix, where all of a sudden life feels more in slow motion around you. What? (laughs) (laughs) Right? And that part of your brain listens to your heart and diaphragm and belly area. That's where it's getting its information from. And it speaks in image. And I want us to think about image broadly. So you can think about image in like, yeah, visual, or you could think about image as a gesture. Like sometimes people see the image come up as like, 
oh, a space between and they do a little push or um, I've had uh, someone uh, like have a gesture where they held their hands in a bowl between um, themselves and another person. So when we say image, we could be like, a single word comes up for you. We're going to float the word in between you and other people. It could be a visual image. We're going to put that between you and other people. It could be a gesture. We're going to put that between you and other people. Megan, I have a question for you. Would you like to find your personal boundary image with me? Sure. Yeah. Because okay. I actually was thinking about that. I was trying to come up with what would yeah. feel good. Yeah. Let's do I it. I love this. So you can okay. do the exercise and then they can do it with us. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So tell me this. Discernment. You can tell the difference between what's true and what's about you and what's not true and not about you, at least some of the time. Yes. Yes? Yes. Okay. Okay. And you think that it's true that just because someone said it or felt it or thought it, it doesn't mean it's absolutely big T truth every time. You know that. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. So great. And now kind witnessing. How you doing with the idea that you could bear witness to? without changing another person's feeling. I'm into it. You're into it. Okay, I'm into great. it. I believe, okay. I believe it's possible and I like the idea. Yes. Yeah, great. Okay, perfect. So now we've done our double checks. Okay. Awesome. Okay, now, instead of trying to figure it out, I wonder if you could ask your heart space and your belly space to hold these ideas. So you just ask them to. It doesn't matter how they answer. It doesn't matter what they do. Just say, okay. Could you hold this idea? I can discern and I can witness kindly. And can you show me an image that knows these two things? I got happens? the image of I'm I'm visualizing, well, I don't know if this is proper, but I'm visualizing matter. I okay, promise. I'm checking in with my body and it's bringing up an image of a misunderstanding and as I'm witnessing it, I see hearts surrounding the the separation that there's like a loved heart emoji thing happening. I love it. So they're like heart emojis kind of like bouncing around in the space between you and yes. the other person. Yes. This is awesome. Okay, great. Now, can you picture a moment when there was a misunderstanding and whoever that was in your life could yes. be a spouse, child, whatever. Yes. Okay. Now picture them in front of you. And they have the face on that they had during the misunderstanding. Yep. Now, just without the boundary in place, just check how it feels inside. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Good. Now float your heart emojis between you and the other person. Yeah. And what happens inside? I do feel a shift. I feel a yeah. sadness. Yeah. Like I, yeah. as an observer. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Oh, and I through like that separateness... Can you love them even more? Definitely. Definitely. And that is why I say boundaries bring people into more connection. Perfect. You did it. Okay. So I want all our listeners to know, I have never seen the same image come up twice. Whatever you come up with is totally great. The other day I was working with somebody and they said, I don't know why, but it's like a dinosaur chicken. I don't know how else to describe it. Like, seriously, you cannot do this wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's perfect. And then the dinosaur chicken was between her and other people, and it felt calm and wind, wind blew and cooled her. It worked. Yeah. Her dinosaur chicken was perfect. Your heart emojis are perfect for you. Okay. Every listener here is going to find their own thing. 
Okay. So the trick is not figuring it out. Not what would it be? What's a good boundary Mm -hmm. look like? Or just let your heart and belly hold it. Oh, can you show me an image that knows these two things? And it'll show you your image. Now, here's your trick. That was fun. Okay. Totally. So now to really hone this network, it's going to take about three weeks of practice. And so here's what you do. You put your heart emojis, your floating heart emojis up between you and the world as many times as you can remember. And I mean, between you and the steering wheel, you and your phone, you and the dishes, you and the closet, you and your kids, you and your spouse, you and your clients, you and the mic, Yeah. between you and everything. So how long would it take you, do you think, to remember the floating heart emoji? To remember? Yeah, just to remember it, to bring it up into your mind. Does it take one second, two seconds? One second, less than a second. Less than a second. Great. So this is a less than a second practice. How many times a day could you do a less than a second practice? Could we do it 20? Could we do it 100? Could you aim for 500? This is not about you uh, changing anything about your life. It's just about you having that one second memory, bring it up, move on with your day, bring it up, move on with your day for about three weeks. All right. Once you do it for about three weeks, it'll start to become automatic and the separateness will start being there where you can love through that separateness Mm -hmm. without feeling like, oh no, things are wrong. I have to fix it this second. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm excited. Well, and what's so interesting to me about this is that I think it's kind of counterintuitive that by creating separateness, we get closer, we feel close, but I think we can all think of times where we feel very separate because we're trying to be so close and it's just not working. I mean, especially kids and partners, it's like, it's, it's, it pushes you further away. So I love this idea of like, by, by creating this separateness, I will continue to love you better and you will love me better and it will be more connected. That's right. I tell you, when I try to change my husband, it drives him nuts. He's likely to either try to change me back or then get away from me. Right. Because it's too much. He doesn't feel respected. He doesn't feel like he's enough for me. He worries about the second I move into that space where I say your feelings and thoughts are not okay. Mm -hmm. Implied because I'm trying to change them and fix you. Right. right. <laughs> Lordy. <laughs> and I think it goes back to like, this is when for me, it's like, that's the stuff that's coming out of my mind because, because, and it's from that base layer of the brain. I'm not even mm-hmm. being thoughtful about what I'm saying. I'm just saying things and yeah. it's not. And so if I can create the separateness, it probably also helps slow me it down, slows you down. To not be connected to everybody else, mm-hmm. focusing on connection with myself. So then exactly. I can reconnect. Then you can reconnect. And that yeah. actually follows the pattern of every complex system. So complex systems emerge. So emergence is um, a process in which something new becomes as all these little things interact. So waves, anthills, beehives, uh, systems between people would count as a complex system. And so would your brain. And there's a pattern that it follows to become more stable and more emergent. And that is differentiation first, link second. Okay. So separate first, connect second. Yeah. The more you do that, the more you feel protected, the more your brain stays integrated, the more you can be creatively responsive, the more respected they feel, the more loved they feel, the more they want to connect back. 
So that's why I would say boundaries are actually a super big connector. That's a big deal. I love this. Well, and you know, what's interesting as you were talking, I was thinking about, so my kids are getting older and they're starting to separate from me. And I think I'm like doing a lot of chasing them down. You know sure. what I mean? Like, like, like whatever the opposite picture of the heart emoji would be, it'd be like a lasso or something like, come right. back, you know, come back. And even though I know it's totally developmentally what they're supposed yeah. to be doing, I think that, um, this sort of boundary, it, it, it's interesting. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's interesting how it can change over different developmental time periods yes. and why you might need it for a different reason, you know? And, yes. and, um, just because I do, I think people don't talk that much about the shift that happens as kids get older. And they're like, you know, the people that wanted everything now are mm-hmm. like, you know, want, I don't need you get out of my room. Right. Except yeah. can you give me a ride? I mean, there's some book. Yeah. About, right? Leave me alone, but can I get a ride to the mall or something like that? <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. No, I, I'm excited to try my, my heart imagery. So I love that. I love that. It's such a specific concrete thing that someone yeah. can do at home and try. It's, it's a tool you can use right away. Yeah. And trust your system. You know, anyone listening, trust that your system's going to give you the right beginning image, that it might transform it over time. That's great. That's fine. No problem. That that you're going to um, keep being able to develop this as a skill. It's a tool you can use to develop a skill where I can love you through the space between us. Yeah. And I like what you said about practicing and like, just it's that growth mindset idea. I think a lot of us, I know I do, you know, you can think of yourself, I'm an adult. I should know these things by now, you know, and I'm here to teach the children what, you know, Yes. but that we're all still kind of working on a lot of these things. And once you feel like you kind of get better at one thing, something new is coming down the path. And I think what you're saying about having self-compassion and just sort of trusting the process of we're all on this journey, there's no end point, you yes. know, you get like the medal and you're on the the stand, like as the winner. Yes. There's, there's no finish line where you get the medal at the end. Right. <laughs> yes. And I'm just thinking like, so in thinking about working with or, or seeing extended family, I think I think a mm-hmm. lot of things, I mean, we just came off of the Thanksgiving holiday break mm-hmm. and I feel like a lot of people end up having things that come up with extended family. Like you might have your little unit, you know, mm-hmm. and then and then more people are coming into your system. Yeah. How do you how do you talk to people about sort of adjusting for those kind of changes that can sometimes happen over? holidays or over over time frames. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one, the things we're already talking about are really helpful. Self-compassion, compassion for them. How's your psychological boundary? Bring up your image, put it between you and your extended family so that you can have curiosity about what's going on on the other side of that boundary rather than agenda or judgment about what's happening on the other side of that boundary. I think that can help. And I also think it can be helpful to be centered in yourself around what your hopes are. What are your hopes? And are you doing things that would help move you towards more of those hopes being met or move you away from more of those hopes being met? So if I go into an extended family situation and my hope is that we have a pleasant Christmas, Right. And I have, we have a pleasant visit and that there's, I would like a drama free 
thing. And my uncle starts talking about dinosaurs not being real, which is not something I agree with, right? I could get into an argument with him about whether or not dinosaurs are real. Or I could let that float on by. Mm -hmm. And which behavior that I do is going to move me closer to what my hope is, to what my intention is. So I think it can be helpful maybe to think about what are your hopes and intentions for the holiday mm-hmm. and how do you do what you can? Yeah. i get other people to do what they can. What can you do to do what you can to, to influence the world around you so that more of those hopes would be possible? Yeah. I love that. I think it's Priya Parker. Do you follow mm-hmm. her at all? She I do. Like having um, sort the of art of the gathering. The art of I gathering. love her yeah. stuff. And just that that's what can often happen is that people gather and there's all these different, you know, ideas of what, what the intention of the gathering is. And that sometimes, I mean, not that you can get extended family, like we're all going to be on the same page, but sometimes it's just the mental idea of like, maybe they have a different Mm-hmm. sort of idea about what this gathering is for than what I do yeah. and sort yeah. of witnessing that even like I think yeah. they thought this was the airing what is it the Seinfeld the airing of the grievances <laughs> that was what they showed up for I showed up for something different and I can kind of mm-hmm. do that separation piece of yes, let, me, and it, let me bear witness to the airing of grievances while I do not participate while I do not participate exactly so and you can float that heart emoji in between you and who knows maybe you get creative around making an offering to the circle that moves the conversation in a different way maybe you decide to stay silent maybe you decide to pull someone aside and say this is starting to feel uncomfortable is there any way we could shift this space mm-hmm. but it's not with with the intention it's really a request. It's not with the intention of saying you're wrong or you're bad for showing up with a different intention than me. Mm-hmm. It's more, oh, yeah, that's normal. Mm-hmm. It's normal for people to want different things at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And to maybe even anticipate that. Like I'm probably going to show up and see something that I'm not anticipating. Yeah. And that doesn't make them bad and it doesn't make you bad. Right. Right. It doesn't make me bad for having a different intention than somebody else. Yeah. And we don't beat them up or beat themselves up. Right. And I think kind of reminding ourselves of that can help not set us up for disappointment of like, oh, I wish, I mean, I wish we were on the same page. I mean, how many people are we really exactly on the same page with? I can't really (laughs) think of many, you know, maybe on a specific topic, but like on all topics that there's somebody else that's, you know, mirror imaging what your Mm -hmm. thoughts and expectations are. Mm -hmm. So maybe sort of even putting that out there, like, you know it's probably going to be different. So let's see what happens. And this is my idea. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And how can I take care of myself? Well, when I'm on the roller coaster of a a bunch of not knowing what's Mm -hmm. going to happen. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's one thing I think, I know you talk about like our histories and how they inform how we show up with other people. And I think that's been one of the, you know, just sort of realizing over time, that there are some expectations we have of control that maybe mm-hmm. are, are false, you know, yes. and just sort of unraveling some of that. Yes, exactly. Well, we have to do this really hard thing as humans, right? You do have a ton of influence and no control. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that paradox, both sides of that are true simultaneously. So a lot of times we've gotten messages that say you're bad if you can't control the outcome or you're not doing it good enough if it didn't turn out like what, how you wanted. And we might fall into the other side of it. Maybe we learned, well, I can't change anything anyway, so don't even try, right? And that can influence my the way I show up. So I think just being curious and being kind as you U-turn and and have that curiosity about, huh, I wonder how my history and emotional knowings I carry yeah. from everything I've lived are going to influence how I show up in this moment. And how do I take care of myself well? As that's true, because that's just how the brain works. Right. You can't You can't stop being influenced by your history. It's just how your brain's wired. And I think what we talked about before at the slowing down, I just keep thinking, I love all of this. And when it doesn't happen is when I'm not, I'm when I'm doing too much, when I'm taking on too much, when I'm trying to make everything happen quicker. Yeah. Um, So the slowing down piece, I think is a big deal. Yeah. You know what I have to work through with grief is I'm a bit of an enthusiast. I don't know if you can tell from how I talk, but I have big energy. I like a lot of excitement happening. I I tend to say, I tend to say yes to things I love and I love a lot of things. Yeah. So <laughs> the grief work I have to do with myself, especially at a time of year like this, is grieving that I probably won't do all the things I'm enthusiastic about if I also want it to go well and not lose my bandwidth. Yeah. And so figuring out how to pick and choose, letting that mini grief of disappointment come up and move on through me so that I can let go of the things that aren't going to happen. The truth is I want to stay up till midnight and give my daughter hot chocolate. I love hot chocolate too. I want to drink it with you. And then we can watch a Christmas movie together, but that would make tomorrow totally horrible. Yeah. So I have to move through my own mini grief around not being able to say yes to everything because my body has limits because our family system has natural limits that are like human, like need for sleep and good food and rest. Yeah. Ugh. I I kind of hate that by the way, sometimes. I I agree. So I'm curious if there's anything, I feel like we've covered a lot. We've, of we've covered so much. Territory. And I'm super excited about my, my new challenge with my separate boundaries work. So I I'm love it. About that. Is there anything that you were hoping you could share or talk about that I haven't asked you about? I don't think so. I think, I think just to, you know, especially when we talk about a lot of cool ideas at once, people can be a little bit scattered because they are like, oh, I want to pause and I want to do the boundary thing. And I want to do, um, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure my behavior matches what's okay with me and what's not okay with me. And, 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 oh yeah, I'm supposed to, we talked about slowing down to celebrate for 20 to 30 seconds. (laughs) Yeah. So that's like my brain when I'm looking at Instagram, basically it's like, like I follow all these therapists with all these great ideas. And then I'm like, I'm going to do that one and that one and that one. And so here's a piece of grief work for our audience. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm like the grief lady, everybody who's, who does a lot of my trainings knows I'm, I'm in love with grief because I think it processes tons of stuff that we need to, to make choices that make more sense for us. I wonder if we could all do a grief work that we're going to maybe even write down the list pause between what you feel and what you do. 
what is and is not okay with me. I could act in accordance with what is okay with me and not with what's not okay with me. I could create a psychological boundary and practice that image. I could celebrate myself for up to 30 seconds at a time so it makes sure to make it into my lower brain. I could think about intentions in a gathering. Okay, there's a list of a lot of the skills we went over today. Now you choose one and only one to focus on for the next three or four weeks of your life. And you say the other ones, we're going to let that grief move through so that we can let go and not do all of them at once. Because if we do all of them at once, we're likely to let all of them go because none of them are really working because we're not, practice makes progress, but practice with focus is really what's needed to make progress, to make a shift. So maybe my only thing is being kind to myself. Great. I'm going to add in being kind to myself. I'm going to beat myself up and then I'm going to beat myself up for beating myself up. And then I'm not going to beat myself up the third time. Yes. Look at that being kind to yourself. Good work. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's my one thing. And then I'm going to save the rest of that list for later once I feel like this practice has actually taken hold. So that's what I would say is don't try to use everything from this conversation. Pick one thing from this conversation that would be super helpful for you right now and focus only on that and save the rest of your list for later. Perfect. That's good advice. I would love to share how people can learn more about you. Where can people find more information about you? Sure. Uh, you can find my website, cleariskind.com. And I have offerings like for workshops and therapist trainings and all, all sorts um, of things. And I have a podcast with a couple friends of mine who are also marriage and family therapists, and it's called Why Does My Partner? Uh, so you can catch us there. And we do workshops and you can look us up. The, the couples workshops run through there. Awesome. Thanks so much. I have learned so much. I love talking to you. Oh, great. Thanks for having me. It's been such a delight. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Family Brain. If you've thought of someone you know while you were listening, I would love it if you would share this episode with them. And if you really loved it, you could leave a five-star review. That helps people find the show and spread the word. Thanks so much for listening.